Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Solomon continues to emphasize the positive and negative effects a leader has on the people who they rule. This is Proverbs 29, verse 4. By justice a king builds up the land, but he who extracts gifts tears it down. Righteousness is the foundation of every human institution, every stable human institution. A nation's prosperity and security depend on righteous leaders, ones who prudently make decisions by justice and by fairness. A nation's downfall and ruin is certain when its leaders are influenced by favors and rewards. Solomon here warned his son against the political compromise in the office of the king, especially the taking of bribes, lest he be the cause of the nation's destruction. But we get that. The fact that good leaders are good for a country and leaders are bad when they take bribes. Bad leaders tear down opportunities for, for prosperity. Sure, we could do our part by not offering bribes to the authorities. But our withholding of bribes ought to be driven by, an understanding, by understanding the task of advancing the blessings of liberty. Real liberty. Not the liberty that says everybody gets to do their way and let me live like I want kind of liberty but a liberty advanced because God's mercy is poured out upon our righteous civil authorities. First, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. A righteous government begins with self-government. When we cannot govern ourselves, we will be ruled by others. The less government we have at home, in our hearts, the more we will be ruled by others and that will be necessarily imposed upon us. So if we preside over ourselves by loving God, what we pursue will be hard work, self-discipline, and laughter and joy with our families. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I urge you to kneel where you are, if you're willing and able. Father, thank you for bringing us together here before your holy word. And we do pray and do ask your help to understand that passage, to understand these texts and everything that you want to say to us. Please open up our minds and hearts so that through your word and the Holy Spirit, we can be blessed by this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Kids, how many of you like, enjoy climbing a tree? I just saw one of our kids climb this, this step going up. You do good. I, when I was a child, I, I, I enjoy a lot. But have you heard um, about the mountain Everest, the highest mountain on earth, 29,000 um, feet? So, in 1924, a British expedition set apart two climbers to conquer, to get at the top of the highest mountain on earth, 
the Everest. And I, I had to mention they had already failed two years before, but here they are again trying. But as far as know, they never reached the top again. And they never returned. Unfortunately, somewhere in that gigantic mountain, those climbers were overpowered by some natural elements, and they died. After this tragedy, the team, the rest of the team returned home, and one day while addressing a meeting in London, one of the members was trying to describe this ill-fated adventure. And suddenly he turned to a huge photograph on the wall behind him, and he cried out, Everest, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you a second time, but again, you were too much for us. But I want you to know, Everest, that we are going to conquer you. Because you, Everest, cannot grow any bigger, but we can. In some sense, this Everest story illustrates the life of Jairus. The life of this bleeding woman, this little child, the crowd seeking for something, the disciples. But especially, it illustrates our own lives. Don't we feel sometimes out of resource in this life? It's like Everest. Don't you feel sometimes being tested in your faith, in your trust in Christ, and sometimes lacking faith, lacking trust? in the midst of our unbelief. Don't you feel sometimes fearing life? What's going to happen tomorrow? Don't you feel sometimes fearing death? I remember when I was a child, 10 years old, I started to think about death and I cry, I cry. I didn't grow in a Christian house. Don't you feel sometimes that our problems, suffering, temptations, sins are about to overpower us? And yet, don't we have the same assurance that all our struggles, suffering, temptations, unbelief cannot grow any bigger because of what Christ has done for us? Don't we have the same assurance that even death itself our most fearful enemy will not be able to overcome us, will not get bigger than physical damage because Christ, the Son of God, already conquered it. We do have the same assurance. It was Christ himself who said to his disciple, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. So brothers and sisters, today I hope you can see at least, you can believe at least in what Jesus said to Jesus. Do not fear. Only believe. In other words, believe that I, Jesus, I am the Son of God, in whom you will find compassion, in whom your faith can grow strong 
in whom you will conquer death itself. So let's turn to our first point. A desperate father finding compassion. Verse 21, 24. Coming from the east side of the lake, from the lake of Galilee, Jesus arrived at Capernaum, his hometown. And as Jesus gets out of these boats, a crowd approached him. And verse 22, in the midst of this crowd, here comes a father seeking for compassion for his only daughter, 12 years old. And his name is Jairus. He comes to Jesus with all respect, humbling himself before Jesus' feet, imploring earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her so that she may be made well and live. I think we can relate it to that. If you are a father or mother or you have a grandkids, I think you do the same. It's a normal behavior for someone who loves their beloved one. But for Luke, who also reports this event, Jairus' behavior, Jairus' behavior was a shocking one. And when Luke starts to report this event, he starts saying, Behold! Or look that! Unbelievable! It's Jairus bowing down before Jesus. So the question is, why for Luke, Jairus' behavior is so shocking? The answer to that question requires two other questions, which are, who is Jesus and who is Jairus? So who is Jesus? I mean, the Jesus at that time. For the most Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees, Jesus was an itinerant, unauthorized, intruder, rabbi, who should be silent, who should be stopped, who should be killed, as chapter 2 in the Gospel of Mark shows, chapter 3. But when we consider Jairus' behavior, um, although Jesus has not been recognized by the most Jewish leaders, there was an ongoing recognition of Jesus as by now as a respect teacher. Especially because of his miracles, his power. But who is Jairus? Jairus, well, Mark says that he is a ruler of the synagogue. And it tells a lot who he is. So let's break his life in three points here. Religiously speaking, he was a man, a religious authority. He was an official responsible for making sure that everything in the synagogue would be ready. He knew he was an expert in the law, in the Torah, in charge for sometimes to read the law publicly. So he's a man who possessed knowledge of the law, the Old Testament. He knew his Bible. Socially speaking, Jerry was a man who possessed um, perhaps a lot of money, a wealthy man. Um, economically, we can say he was a wealthy man. And we can see that 
when Jesus approached his house and you see his huge, huge commotion, people um, weeping. And at that time, for you to have a, a crowd like that, and those are professional mourners that you were supposed to pay to mourn for your beloved one. So Matthew, who also reports this event, 9 verse 23, says that there were flute players as well. So we can say that economically, Jairus was a wealthy man. Socially speaking, we can say that Jairus, Jairus was a, a man who, was, who possessed prestige, uh, privilege. In short, Jairus is a person who possessed all resources necessary for having a happy, enjoyable, and pleased life. And yet, right now, he is desperate. Jairus, right now, is facing his own Everest. And it seems that an avalanche is approaching his life. Sickness had visited his house, and death is about to arrive. And nothing of what he has, nothing of what he is, or what he knows, seems to drive away this feeling of hopeless. And I want to reinforce here that here's a man of the law. He's a man of the Torah. What a picture we have here, a man of the law under the feet of the man of the gospel. Because that is what the law can do for us, to lead to the gospel. And that is what happening right now here. So he seek Jesus. He implored Jesus to come to his house. And verse 24 says that Jesus went with him. Jesus full of compassion, mercy. Again, think about who Jairus is. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Although he's not a Pharisee, he's under the authority of the Pharisees. And the theology of the synagogue was the theology of the Pharisees. It's just for us to understand how compassionate is Jesus right now by following Jairus. Isn't it amazed that Jesus does not confront Jairus, whether or not he supports the theology of the Pharisees, whether or not he's supporting the plan of the Pharisees to kill him? Instead, Jesus comforts Jairus. Or better saying, Jesus follows Jairus. Jesus followed Jairus so that Jairus would become one of his followers. Isn't that amazing? When you think that you are following Jesus, it is Jesus who follows us. He promised he would be with us until the end of the age. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus went with Jairus, just as he go with us when we put our trust in him. However, 
It is for being merciful and compassionate that Jesus is about to stop Jairus so that he can learn that faith is not only concerned about how we approach, but whom we are approaching. Jairus' faith has to go strong. So here we return to our second point, where Mark introduced a new history that will serve Jairus' history. Let me read for you verse 25 and 26. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Can you see the way Mark is introducing this woman? By first describing her situation before her history begins. And I think about two possible reasons here. First is because Mark wants us to sympathize with this woman, with her suffering. And second, I think Mark wants us to make a contrast between this woman and Jairus. Jairus situation. As you can see, the text does not give name. Mark does not name this woman. This is an unnamed woman, only known by her disease. You see, here's a cancer woman. You lose your identity. It's a great picture of what sin does. It's a bleeding woman. She has a kind of menstrual disorder for 12 years. Just as Jairus' daughter has been alive, enjoying her life for 12 years. Look the contrast here. He's a woman suffering for 12 years. And now this little daughter who is 12 years. And both find themselves on the same power, subject to the same power, the power of sin, the side effects of the fall. But like Jairus can be described by his name or his position, ruler of the synagogue, we can see we can describe the status of this woman by her disease. Physically speaking, in a situation like that, you lose your strength. You lose your color. You start to smell. Bleeding for 12 years. You stink. People can know what kind of disease you have by a distance, just by the smell, by the horrible smell you have. You need a blood transfusion. That alone, you'd be enough to give up. But we also need to consider here the Old Testament law. Based on Leviticus 15, we can have a glimpse of the religious and social status of this woman. 
Leviticus 15, verses 19 to 30, this woman is defiled and could defile anyone, anything she taught. Although her disease is not contagious, like leper, if she taught her husband, suppose she had one, her kids, her relatives, her friend, they would be all unclean. They would be all be banished from the community. And to take a period of purification, to do sacrifice, go through the cleanse rituals. If a woman in her normal monthly period should be avoided, how much more are these women? Now you can see that these women is not only motivated by her physical condition, but also by her social and religious situation here. In fact, she became an outcast. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She was defiled. She couldn't go to the temple. I also need to mention here that this woman had an ongoing situation. And since she has an ongoing situation, a bleeding that does not stop for 12 years, does not stop like our sins. It never stopped. So the Levitical system from the Old Testament could not sort out her problem. Never. Actually, the Levitical system itself could never make this woman or anyone righteous. By the way, the law of cleansing ritual, and I think that what Mark wants us to focus here, the law of rituals in the Old Testament was not designed by God to make anyone righteous before Him but to be an illustration of what sin does and how sin soils, defiles, corrupts, subjugates us, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. This law from the Old Testament that this woman probably spent all her money with, trying to purify herself, all this law was designed by God to be a constant reminder of the results of the fall and of a need that we all have for a savior, for a redeemer, for the gospel itself. And that is what is happening right now with this woman. Verse 27, she heard the reports about Jesus. In other words, she heard the gospel. She heard the gospel. And here is the basis for a weak faith to grow strong. Because faith, as Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. That's, that's how our faith can grow strong. That is what Jairus is learning here. But what else we can see and learn regarding true faith growing strong here? I think this woman 
can teach us a lot. And the first thing that can, she can teach us here is that faith is not a positive thing. Oh, I have faith. In what? I have faith in my faith. Yeah. Yeah, I have faith in faith. No. Faith demands subject, accountant. So, faith is not a positive thing or a theory about something that we believe. No. A true faith, when it starts to go strong, leads us in a confident action in which we rely ourselves to Christ, on Christ's work, grace, and mercy, despite any circumstance in our life. It's not the circumstance which defines our faith. Yes, today I'm fine, everything is doing well, and my faith, I feel my faith so strong. No. The ground for our faith, it is Christ himself and his benefits. And that's what's happening in verse 28. Despite her embarrassing condition, this woman pushes through the crowd, even past the disciple himself, coming from behind, perhaps fearing to make others unclean, but yet still believing. And listen to her words. If she just taught his garments, she would be healed. And she was. Verse 29 and 30. And here, here is one word that Mark's use, Mark used a lot. And immediately, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus Perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? After she was healed, Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him, and he made this question, Who touched my garments? What? Who touched your garments? We have a lot of people here touching you, Jesus, right now. And many people reading this verse struggle to understand what's going on here. Jesus, didn't Jesus know, as he did many times, what goes into people's minds and hearts? For instance, chapter 2, here in the book of Mark, Jesus knew what the scribes were questioning their hearts regarding his authority of forgiving sin. Of that paralytic man. Is Jesus' power out of his control? Like the magic lamp from the Aladdin movie. I don't know if you haven't watched it before, but whatever whoever finds and taught it can make three wishes. And here Jesus is bound to do so. Is that the case here? No, it is not. So why this question, who taught my garments? Why stop for I here to make this question? Before we answer this question, let's let first affirm with, with Charles Spurgeon, who says, Jesus is always right. 
even when to the eyes of saints he appears to be wrong. We ought never to suspect him of making a mistake. Indeed, for us to question him would be a great presupposition. So why this question? Here goes four reasons why. First, Jesus didn't want this woman leaving and is still holding a quasi-magical notion about faith. Mystical sense, idea of faith. No, he didn't want that. But rather, Jesus, Jesus wants to disclose himself, his identity, his divine identity, at least partially. He wants to reveal that to this woman. And it seemed that she got that. Because now she's amazed. Not just for being healed of her disease, but because she knows that the one, the one who healed her, also know why she came for. Verse 32, and Jesus, he looked around to see who had done it. Who had done it. It's such a beautiful picture in this crowd. Jesus looking for someone who taught my garments. Everybody's touching. No. Everybody's touching me, but I taught someone today. And he's looking for this person. Just like the good shepherd searched for his lost sheep. John 10, the sheep hear his voice and he called his own sheep by name. And lead them out. This woman has been called now out of this crowd. Because among this crowd, Jesus only taught this woman. Second reason, Jesus wants this woman to give the right response. When a weak faith starts to grow strong, it creates the right response. And she came before him and told the whole truth. That's what the gospel does in us. The truth. She's not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> Third reason. Jesus wants to give this woman a new identity. Remember, she lost her name, even her name. This is a bleeding woman, a cancer woman, whatever. But here is Jesus restoring her identity. The woman who was before unnamed received a new name that she will carry with for the whole eternity. And there is no other name, no better name than to be called daughter, son. You will not have a better name than that. Sons and daughters of God. And the last reason, it is Jairus himself. Jairus. For Jesus, it's important to disclose himself to, to Jairus. It is important for Jairus here to see Jesus beyond a mere rabbi. Since he is about to face something that a rabbi cannot sort it out. So, through this woman's situation, Jesus wants to give Jairus the good news 
before the bad news arrived. And the good news that Jairus saw is that Jesus was not defiled when it was taught by this woman, but rather he gives her life. This is the great exchange. This is an anticipation of what Christ will do at the cross later on when he will take the curse of the law, made himself cursed for our sins and transgressions. And that is what Jairus needs to believe right now. That the man that he met first as a rabbi close to the lake actually is the son of God who has the power over the curse of the law and over death itself. So our final point here is what Jesus is going to face, a fearful enemy. Let me read verse 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. Only believe. I think we can relate to that. How many times we are facing something bigger than us. And the only option that we have is to not fear, but just believe. We cannot do nothing. But if I, if I was Jairus, having my daughter die, and Jesus do not fear, I, I need to be honest. I would say, what? Or as my children sometimes say to one another, are you kidding me? Do not fear the most fearful and destructive enemy of any human being can face? And Jesus' answers, kids, is yes. And by the way, it's not a good advice I'm giving to you. Jesus is saying, it's a command. Do not fear. And the second one is only believe. And the Greek allows us to do something even beyond that. Keep believing, Jesus, as you first got here believing. That's the command. Do not fear. Keep believing. Now, I hope you can see that these two commands, do not fear, only believe, are very tied to Mark's thesis on who Jesus is. In other words, these two commands, do not fear and only believe, are answering the question, who is Jesus? Can you see that? Precisely because our Lord Jesus now here is speaking with a clear conscience of His infinite power and authority. He is speaking with a clear conscience of His deity. Jesus is speaking as the Son of God. And that is what Mark wants to prove here. Jesus is speaking the divine language of omnipotence. And He will keep speaking with this language until we finish. Verse 39, And he, Jesus, had, when he, Jesus, had entered, he said to them, 
Why you make a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. This great commotion, as I said, was done by the professional mourners, the fake ones. So Jesus said, today it was unnecessary. Go home. Go home. The child is not dead. It's just sleeping. Sleeping. But those guys here, they're professional mourners. No one you spend, spend money if this girl was not dead. In fact, she's dead. She's dead just as Lazarus was for four days in a tomb, already stinking. And yet, Jesus said the same. He is just sleeping. And why Jesus is speaking like that? Because with Jesus, death does not have the final words. Again, our Lord Jesus is speaking with the divine language, the language of omnipotence. Verse 40, And they laughed at him, but he, Jesus, put them all outside and looked and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. It is now that the drama gets at the climax of Jairus' faith. As we read, many things happened that could assault Jairus' faith. As someone already said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. That's what's happening with Jairus here. He's being tested. And now his daughter's body standing before him, death itself, our most powerful enemy, personified its power. Death here right now showing to Jairus, to the disciple, how mankind is so subjugated, subject to the power of sin. In fact, Mark had already begun in chapter 4 to show that to show our weakness our fallen condition while revealing Jesus' authority supremacy this passage that we read today starts in, in chapter 4 verse 35 when Jesus began this trip with his disciple in a boat they were fearing the storm no, they were not fearing the storm. They are not fearing the sea. They were fearing death. So after showing his authority over the natural force, Jesus confronted the disciples saying, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then comes the, the main question of this book. Who then is this? Or who is Jesus? Who is this guy that even the wind and sea obey him? Verse, verse 41, chapter 4. And this trip continues in chapter 5 where Mark shows how mankind is now subjugated to his spiritual force while showing Jesus' power, authority when he heals a man with demons. And moving to our text, 
Jesus showed his power over the curse of the law. And now here is the climax of this trip. Here in this room where Jesus entered with his disciples and Jairus and his wife. I hope you can see this picture here. What Mark is trying to show us. In this room, together, Christ and death. Our Redeemer, Savior, and the wage of sin in the same place. No doubt, Mark is anticipating the picture of the cross itself, where Jesus would share again death, but at this time, our death, our spiritual death. Jesus, you'd become again unclean for our sake. You'd take upon himself the wrath of God, God's judgment upon our sins. And Jesus, go ahead and took this child by hand and said, Talitha kumi. Jesus said, it's more than that. Jesus gave an order, Talitha kumi. Little girl, Arise. Kids, have you ever had experience when your father, parents come to you, you're sleeping. Hey, buddy, time to go to school. I know that sometimes it's not in that way. <laughs> but that's the, the tone here. It's a father coming to this girl saying, wake up. There is no battle between two powers here. No, there's just one power, authority. Wake up. Again, what Jesus is doing here was but a preview, just a preview of what he will do at the end of time. He will also take us by hand and say, Arise. And at that time, we will not be in secret. As Revelation says, chapter 1, verse 7, Every eye will see, even those who laughed at him, they will see and they will mourn by themselves. And that will not be fake. And the story here ends with verse 42, verse 43, with the girl getting up and walking, and Jesus tells them that no one should know this. And again, it came to my mind, what? I think everybody should know this. But for Jesus, no. For Jesus, this miracle or whatever he could tell these people, without faith, you'd be meaningless. Meaningless? Just as God's word today for you and for me can be meaningless without faith. Meaningless as the sacraments can be if we don't take by faith. So as we come to the end, can you see how we can relate to those people? Who are you today here? Jairus? The women suffering for a long time? The same problem? Bleeding the same place? Or are you the child? Cannot do nothing for yourself right now. No matter who you are. The reality is that we are all sharing the same mountain. We are all sharing the same struggle. Sin and death are imminent in our lives. 
My Everest, your Everest, is getting bigger every day. You can feel in your body. But here's the good news. Do not fear. If you, if you are in Christ, do not fear. Because none of those things, even death itself, cannot get bigger because Christ already conquered it. So, you don't need to get to the top of the Everest today because Christ already did for you. And listen to the words of Paul, which can be your words today. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55-56. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the victory over our enemies. The victory over sin. The victory over death. The victory over Satan himself. And the dominion of sin in our life. Thank you so much. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you for your word today. For anyone that needs to grow in their faith is strong. May your Holy Spirit apply these words, O Lord. Thank you for Jesus. For being the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, keep working us. Don't leave us. Don't forsake us. We thank you for all the benefits that we have in Christ. And now, we pray the prayer that you taught us in your supper together each week, we should be mindful of what's going on. We remember the Lord's death, and we show the power of His death in gathering us as His people here. We are a gathered body of forgiven sinners. We are the body Christ gathered in this room. We are identified as the body of Christ because of our Christian baptisms. At this table, we are not merely remembering, we are also becoming Eating together is a formidable action. When families eat together, they grow up together, knowing one another, loving and serving one another, and partaking with one another. Those same things are going on here as we eat the Lord's Supper together. The breaking of the bread and the sharing of the wine together gathers us, it unifies us, strengthens us, and binds us together. Table fellowship is at the center of what it means to love one another. Welcome to Christ's table. Christ's body, broken for us. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's 
C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.